Hi, everyone. It's me, Sandy Cruz of Sandy K Nutrition, health and lifestyle queen. For years now, I've been bringing to you conversations about wellness from experts from all over the world, whether it be suggestions in how you can age better, biohacking, alternative wellness. These are conversations to help you live your best life. I want to live a long, healthy, and vibrant life. Never mind all those stigmas that as we reach midlife and beyond, we're just going to shrivel up and die with some horrible disease. Always remember, balanced living works. I really look forward to this season. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sandy K Nutrition, Health and Lifestyle Queen. Today with me, I have a special guest. His name is Dr. Doug Lucas, and he's an orthopedic surgeon, and he's trained in longevity and hormone optimization, metabolic health, and we're going to talk all about osteoporosis, and I'm going to leave the rest to our conversation. It's going to be a good one, you guys, so stick around. A couple of announcements, metabolic health. Okay, I've been talking about this for a while. I became a certified metabolic balance coach, and I did the program myself, and I've lost 7.5% of my body weight. I've maintained muscle mass and I've improved my metabolic health. So my waist to hip ratio is finally healthy. And yes, you guys, even as a nutritionist going through menopause or close to it anyway, we can also run into these issues and our weight and our metabolic health can get away from us. So if you are interested in my program, please get in touch with me, sandy at sandyknutrition.ca. Blood work is required. So, you know, get in touch with me now if you're interested, because you don't want to miss the boat on this. Follow me everywhere. I am on TikTok. I am on Instagram. I am on Pinterest. I'm on Twitter. It's Sandy K Nutrition everywhere. Recently, I have decided to do a weekly metabolic health series on YouTube. Every week, it's going to be a little short that I am going to upload on YouTube every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in and around that time. You're going to hear from me and it's going to be a valuable tip from my program for free. So go follow me on YouTube, Sandy K Nutrition, and definitely subscribe to my channel because there's going to be a lot of valuable information there. Also, I have a private group on Facebook. Yes, I have my Sandy K Nutrition page, but I also have a private group. It's called Sandy K Nutrition Health and Lifestyle Queen. I go live there and talk about particular wellness subjects every week. So definitely ask to be a part of this private group, because I think you're going to see some value in this. I have some pretty incredible interviews to come. 
I feel like my 2023 season really encompasses all aspects of wellness. I have some interviews. I have an interview coming up. And Wendy Troxell is the author of the book called Sharing the Covers. And I kind of, I'm going to be going deep with her on sleeping with your partner. And yeah, there's a lot of stigmas attached to not sleeping with your partner. We're going to break down everything for you. She is a sleep scientist. She is a clinician. She's a PhD. And her life's work is all about sleep. So you're not going to want to miss that. Definitely share this episode or any of my episodes with anyone who may benefit. This is the way to get the word out that we can age better. We can utilize alternative means to really control and take control of our health and our aging and how we age. And now with that, let's cut on through to the interview with Dr. Doug Lucas. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sandy K Nutrition Health and Lifestyle Queen. Today with me, I have Dr. Doug Lucas. And he actually is fellowship trained and a precision health specialist. He is an MD, you guys. And he specializes in metabolic health, hormone optimization for both men and women, osteoporosis, and longevity. Dr. Doug aims to address the underlying cause of chronic disease to improve both health span and lifespan, of course. After finishing his training at Stanford University, Dr. Doug began his medical practice as an orthopedic surgeon. He's passionate about nutrition and disease prevention, and he quickly became frustrated by the failure of the traditional medical model to allow incorporation of these principles into his practice. He pursued additional fellowship training from the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. A lot of people know that A4M, the Academy of Preventative and Innovative Medicine and Wild Health. His passion is working with patients looking to optimize their health through a customized approach based on genetic data, extensive evaluation, and in-depth lifestyle examination. And today, our topic of discussion is osteoporosis. I mean, I think we can talk about many other things. Maybe Dr. Doug will come back, but today we're really going to focus on osteoporosis because this is a huge health issue, especially with women as they reach midlife. So welcome, Dr. Doug. Thank you so much for coming to speak with me today. Thank you, Sandy. I really appreciate you being uh, having me on and, and being here and doing what you do. So what's your story? I did give a little bit in, in my uh, introduction. So mm-hmm. you weren't happy with the traditional model. Yeah. So I, and it's, it's kind of tough for me to even say it like that. Cause I did actually, I loved what I did. You know, okay. I really loved being an orthopedic surgeon. Um, I went into it for very clear reasons it is actually the most clear field of medicine where you have a broken bone and you fix it and it heals and you better. Like it is, it's a beautiful field, but the downside was, is that I was, uh, as a foot and ankle subspecialist, <laughs> I was seeing a lot of diabetes. I was seeing people with 
very terrible metabolic disease, uh, people that had chronic pain syndromes. And what I found is that, yeah, I could help some people with surgery, but for the most part, really people were looking for surgery to help things that, that started 10, 15 or more years ago. And they had been given bad advice. And we, a lot of times in the, the physician world, we think, oh, you know, if they would, these people would just follow our advice, you know, they'd be great. What I found out over time is that really a lot of these patients are following the advice of their doctors. They're taking the medications, they're doing the nutrition the way they're told to do, and they're just getting worse and worse and worse yeah. and worse. And I was maybe making them different, but for a lot of these patients, I wasn't making them better. And I felt very disempowered to do so. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the fact is, is that we need, we need Western medicine. We need that. And I, and I, I mean, I don't know if I would be here if it weren't for that. Right. So I never knock that, but I feel there's just so much more. There's something missing. And I love that you're one of these physicians that's getting into the something that's missing. Right. That's right. Yeah, and, I, and I'm really careful when I when I do these podcasts and when I speak publicly. I don't want to disparage the system. I yeah. talk a lot about how the system's broken, and and I think that there are probably some some bad players in the you know the insurance and how it interferes with with government and patient care. And I think there there is some there's some bad things happening there, but the physicians are are generally not involved in that, yeah. and they're just doing what they're trained to do. And you're absolutely right. We need those things, right? If I get into a car accident, I, you you need to have a trauma center. You know, if you have a heart attack, you need to have you know all those things that we need to do. And the thing, the way that we can do a lot of those things is absolutely miraculous. But where we fail as a system is helping people to live their best lives, to optimize their health, and it's all focusing on these things that don't generate revenue for, for doctors or for hospitals, because there's no procedure, there's no pharmaceuticals. These are like the lifestyle stuff, right? Yes. And so where, where we fail is to help people look at these things and present good research, if it even exists on these topics. Yeah. So let's first get into the definitions, because I know this can get confusing. And, you know, I will say my mom has osteoporosis. And my dad has had a knee replacement, you know, so I, this is, and I, and I know like I'm 52, but I actually know a couple of people who already have osteopenia at this age, you know, close to menopause or in menopause or through menopause, post-menopause around this age. So Dr. Doug, tell me, what's the difference between osteopenia and osteoporosis first? Yeah, so I was actually just prepping for a, a talk on this. It's an, interesting, it's an interesting definition because there are some objective numbers, but really it's a, just a sliding scale of bone. Really, bone density is what we're talking about, which is unfortunate because it's actually bone quality that is arguably more important, and that isn't even part of the definition. And so it, we, it, this is one of the reasons why osteoporosis is such a difficult thing to talk about is because the definitions don't even really make sense. We don't really know who's at risk for fracture because ultimately that's what we care about. You know, I don't care what your DEXA looks like, and I'll talk about that. Okay. But I really care, like, are you at risk for fracture? Because that's, you know, otherwise osteoporosis isn't a problem if you're not at risk for fracture. But to answer your question, so the definition of osteoporosis, and it varies a little bit by, by whichever organization you're following, but in general, it is the a number called a T-score 
uh, T is in Tom, T score on a DEXA test, which is DEXA, which is basically an x-ray that looks at your bone density. Um, it is not a great test because it is not very uh, reproducible, meaning that if you do one test and then you get up and then you get back on the machine, you do it again, <laughs> you're likely to get a different, a different result. Oh. Um, if you go from one machine to another machine, you'll get a different result. If you bring a uh, different tech in because it's lunchtime and you do the test again, you'll get a different result. Interesting. So it's not, it's not a great test. But this, the number you're looking for is, uh, is the T-score. The T-score is basically just how much how, how much lower is your bone density compared to either um, the average from a certain age or the average of your age group, depending on T-score or Z-score. Again, it's way, way too complicated. It doesn't need to be this hard. But the number you're looking for is negative 2.5 on the okay. T-score. And that's the, 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 the accepted definition of osteoporosis. Negative one point five is the the definition of osteopenia, uh-huh. and then you can if you just go up to zero, zero then is the quote unquote average or or statistical average, and so you go from average to negative one point five to negative two point five, and that's that's how a DEXA works, and that's the definition we use. There is also though a a definition that the orthopedic surgeons use a lot, which is if you have had a fragility fracture, then by definition you have osteoporosis without a DEXA. And so that is if you have had a fracture of the hip, the pelvis, uh, the upper arm is frequently included in that and the spine. Okay. So those those four fractures with a mechanism that doesn't make sense, meaning like I sneezed and I broke my spine. Um, I, I turned around to, to pick something up off a shelf and my hip broke, right? Like like those those types of fractures are fragility fractures. And then by definition, you have osteoporosis. We don't necessarily need to get a DEXA, although you should to, to stratify your risk. Okay, so just to clarify on this DEXA scan, because I know um, I am uh, I'm certified in functional lab testing for nutritionists, and mm-hmm. I know one of the things that I learned is there is an optimal range, and then there's you know the regular ranges. So I'm just curious, you know what are what are they comparing this to? Are they already comparing these scans to people who already have bone issues? Yeah, so that's where um, like the Z score and the T score are oh. are important. So and so the Z score is another score that you'll see p- potentially on um, on your DEXA report. You might only see the T score, but the the Z score is showing you compared to your the the peak bone density, and the T score is doing compared to your the the normal for your age group. Um, and so, yeah, you're, but you still, you're not actually answering the question of, are we looking for the, the optimal range? Yeah. Right. So you imagine like, so you I think what you're saying is, you know, if you look at a, like a lab result and, and the lab says, you know, this is the, the quote unquote normal range or the reference range. Yeah. The reference range is not an optimal range. The reference range is two standard deviations from average. And if you're looking at something like, like liver enzymes is a, is a great example, right? Yeah. Like the average keeps going up and up and up over time. <laughs> and so uh, it's going up and up and up over time because the population is getting heavier and heavier. And we have more and more, you know, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Uh, so our liver enzymes are going up. But right. That population is just getting sicker. That doesn't mean you want to, you don't want your enzyme to go up. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So what is the optimal range? You know, so for, for liver enzymes, now the optimal range is almost off of the reference chart. 
Um, same thing with testosterone, same thing, you know, I mean, just like so many things people say, well, it's normal. And even doctors will say, oh, like testosterone is a great example. Like, oh, you're 30 years old and your testosterone is 280. It's totally normal. You're fine. That's not fine. It's terrible. <laughs> right. You know, right. yes, it is within the reference range, but no, it's not fine. So, yeah. So with a DEXA, um, you are comparing to your age matched controls. So it is it is an aging population. So you're not comparing to like, you know, where you were at 18. Um, but it is, uh, it is still an aging population. Right. And so that, that bone density will drop over time. Okay. All right. So what's the average age where we start to see osteopenia? So if you look at it, the recommendations, right, the recommendations from Medicare are, if you are over 65, you should be screened with a DEXA. Uh, or if you've had a fragility fracture, um, that is way, way too late yeah. because I see it in my, in my patient population, because I'm recommending getting them earlier. If you have risk factors, I'll talk about that. Um, I mean, I see it in, in women in their twenties and thirties, you know, and, and they talk about the, the organizations for osteoporosis talk about if you have risk factors, you should consider getting screened early. Yeah. But when they talk about risk factors, kind of it kind of blows through it. Like, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, don't have any big illnesses, or you know, I haven't had autoimmune disease. I've been on steroids my entire life. But it's there. It's really subtle. And so things like taking steroids for more than five days. Well, who hasn't been on a prednisone pack, right? Like, I mean, everybody I, I know haven't. has been on a like like <laughs> prednisone for at least five days at one point. In not their me, life. not me. Thank that, God. <laughs> that makes you at high risk. You know, well, wow. you're in the minority, Sandy. Um, you know, or did you ever smoke? You know, do you have, they say diabetes is a risk factor, right? And so if diabetes is a risk factor, well, what about prediabetes? What about metabolic dysfunction? What yeah. about somebody with elevated fasting insulin and insulin resistance? Like where do you draw the line? And if you're saying that anybody with metabolic dysfunction should be screened, that's 90% of the, the U.S. adult population. Right. I don't know where that lives in Canada, but it's, it's basically everybody, right? And so what I talk to my patients about, and I look at genetics too, is like, if you have a genetic predisposition, if you have a family history, if you have any risk factors whatsoever, you should at least get a DEXA, which again has its weaknesses or consider some other form of testing. Um, because knowing the earlier, you know, the more proactive you can be about the lifestyle changes to help either stop it or potentially reverse it. Okay. So I, I know I've had a DEXA scan, but I, I do not have a thyroid. And so I know that the parathyroid glands play a big part in mm-hmm. how calcium is made within the body. So mm-hmm. I had it, I think, just by default. I think I've had a couple. And then my mom has osteoporosis. So, in you know, in your expertise, would you say a 50-year-old woman should go and talk to her physician about getting one? What do you think? You all know that I've been a huge fan of Amino Co. amino acids for quite a while now. People automatically think that, oh, well, I don't need to take amino acids. I don't want my muscles to get bigger. But this isn't what amino acids are all about, really. Amino acids are the building blocks to protein. But guess what? I know I personally don't have the greatest digestion. And so even though I am eating the right amount of protein for my frame, I may still not be digesting and assimilating those all-important amino acids. 
So really, amino acids are not just about building muscle, although I do take it before I work out. It's about aging better. And it's about ensuring that your entire body has those proper building blocks it needs to age better. And that means benefiting the body, the mind, the heart. As we're aging, we have a natural decline in muscle all over the body. And we also have, unfortunately, digestion issues more often than not as we age. Life Amino Acids by Amino Co. helps to trigger muscle protein synthesis, which is the body's mechanism for repairing and building muscle. You can check out all of the science by visiting aminoco.com forward slash SKN for Sandy K Nutrition. When you use that link and that code SKN, you're going to get 30% off to try AminoCo amino acids for yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it. the question is, when it comes to testing, would the test change your treatment plan? And if the test, if the answer to the test isn't going to change your treatment plan, you should never order the test. That's just true across the board. For a DEXA, you know, the downside is is what? A, a, a minuscule amount of radiation, less than you would probably get. I haven't done the math on this, but probably get from you know taking a flight from one city to another. Okay. Um, you know, so it's a minuscule amount of radiation, but it's still radiation. Um, and it's a few minutes of your time. It's quick, it's painless. What's the downside? Uh, I think that if there's any question whatsoever, you should request it. Now the reality is, is that if you're if you're in the U.S. and you're worried about Medicare paying for it, they won't. Obviously, you're not in Medicare, but they your Medicare won't pay for it, and insurance companies won't pay for it unless you're over 65. Uh, so you're likely going to be on the hook for it. Now the good news is, is that typically you can find this for cheap, less than a hundred dollars. Um, a lot of uh, places that will do body composition will also be able yes. to tell you what your your bone density is. Yeah, and then you can get both. You can learn what your your fat mass is and what your bone density is. Yeah. So. Okay. I mean, I don't I don't even know what the age would be in Canada. It must be probably the same as the US unless you have the risk factors, right? Then they'll cover it. Right. So let's go over those. So you mentioned diabetes. Mm-hmm. For me, I have family and then I also don't have a thyroid. And then um you smoker, you're saying, but your doctor's yep. not going to go Oh, yeah, you smoked for 10 years. So maybe now that you're 50, we should get you a DEXA scan, right? right? Like, Well, what's the likelihood that they even know that, right? I mean, who who usually goes like, oh, yeah, no, I totally smoked when I was in college, right? People, <laughs> people generally leave that off their, their What do you mean? I admit it. Dr. Doug, I admit it all the time. <laughs> all the time. I smoked well, for 20 I'm, years. So wow, there you go. Yeah, yeah so that, that, that puts you at risk. Yeah. Um, other important ones to know, I mean, there are a whole host of medications that can put you at risk, including things like PPIs, so so, um, oh. so GERD medications. These are over-the-counter, um, at least they're over-the-counter now. They used to be prescription. And if you're on these things for more than seven days, a lot of people take these things for years. Yep. If you're on these for over seven days, you're at risk for osteoporosis. Um, it, steroids, uh, including uh, inhaled steroids. So if you have, you know, oh. lung disease, or yeah. So if you're taking an inhaled steroid, okay. So even like those. So I had, 
I had uh, an eight-week cough after COVID, and they mm-hmm. put me on the corticosteroid inhalers. Uh-huh. So that's a risk, even though I was on it for like eight weeks. Yeah. Didn't wow. Know. I didn't know that. Yeah. And they don't tell you that. No. They might not know that. Um, yeah. What else? There's um, there's a, a long list of medications just from a, um, uh, a nutrition interaction perspective. Um, another big one is just nutritional deficiencies. So yes. how many people have been chronically dieting their entire adult life? Uh, most, right? Especially women who are at higher risk. Yep. If you've ever had an eating disorder, you're at higher risk. If you didn't achieve, you know, your peak bone, the ideal peak bone density in your in your teens and twenties, then you're at high risk. Well, how the heck would you know that, <laughs> right? There's and so, so many. I, and that's my point is like people talk about this thing like primary osteoporosis. Oh, everybody loses bone as they age. Well, we don't really know that. I think that's kind of a cop out. I think if you were losing, if we if you get a DEXA that's low, we really got to find out: Are you losing bone? Are you not building bone? Did you never have peak bone mass in the first place? Yeah. Those are three different scenarios that require three different solutions. Um, and, you know, and, and the medical community, A, doesn't know, they don't have the, the capacity to, to offer three different solutions. And the only thing they can say is, well, here, take a medication. And typically it's one that will slow down bone loss. But what if they're not rapidly losing bone, but they just never had it in the first place mm-hmm. or they're not building it, right? And so the things where we see like the medications aren't that helpful and it's because they're probably not being given to the right person. Oh, we, we, I don't know if you want to get into that, but we can get into that later. The medications, <laughs> I'll get into anything, just, <laughs> just because the medications I've done a lot of research on because of my mom and they were trying to encourage her to do these injections or I think it was called prolia. Um, yep. And, but I said, hold on a minute, mom, let me, let me look into, and, and of course, Nobody tells her that it's not just about guzzling calcium. That's not going to help build your bone or keep the bone that, you know, you've got so that you don't keep losing it. Right. Right. So, you know, I can I can go off on many different tangents here now. But why don't we talk just a little bit about digestion? Because I know that's a huge piece. You mentioned PPIs. And loss of stomach acid. And I remember this in nutrition college, that there are so many minerals that we can't absorb properly unless we have stomach acid, right? Stomach acid, yeah. I mean, especially just macronutrient-wise, I mean, protein, you cannot break down and assimilate protein if you don't have stomach acid. Yeah. And yet everybody takes PPIs because they have GERD, and it's not because they have too much stomach acid, but it does relieve their symptoms, so they keep taking it. Yes. Um, But then they're not absorbing protein, they're not absorbing vitamin D, calcium, right? Like, it just, you start looking at what happens when you take a PPI and you realize like, oh my gosh, you were setting yourself up for a, a metabolic disaster. Um, and it wasn't the right thing in the first place for most people. Now there is a, there is a role for a PPI, um, but most people that take it don't have what's called Barrett's esophagus or you know, yeah. precancerous cells in their esophagus. Um, and if you don't have those things, your GERD is probably not from too much stomach acid. Mm-hmm. No, I know. And, and so... I know because I've worked with a lot of women at midlife and a lot of these women seem to have the symptoms of low stomach acid. 
And Uh then you get the diagnosis down the road of the osteopenia. And so it makes, you know, the wheels begin turning and it's like, okay, well, where do we begin on helping, right? In, in more of a functional manner. So, um, you know, I guess we can get into the, you know, a little talk about the medications. Like there's a few of them out there that are big ones, like Prolia is one that I know, but they're saying it can make the bones more brittle in the end. So there's a lot of side effects. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I think I would say the kind of the, there's two main classes, right? So we can just break it down like this. Like there are, okay. there are drugs that will, that will slow or stop bone resorption. So those are typically B bisphosphonase. So the Prolia does that too. Yeah. And then there are drugs that will um, increase bone building. So those would be things like uh, Forteo and Temlos. Um, and then there's two drugs that cross over. So there's Pro- Prolia, which does technically both. Um, and then Avenity is another one. I don't know if it's approved in Canada, but it's a newer one that can also do both. Mm-hmm. Depending on where, like where you are and what your issues are, you you may benefit from one or the other. But if you can, if you think if somebody's rapidly losing bone, and you put somebody on Forteo, which is a bone building drug, they're still going to be rapidly losing bones. You're not changing anything in that department. So this is true for for any woman who is in the, really the first five years after the onset of menopause. When you lose estrogen and you don't replace it, you will rapidly lose bone. It's just yes, predictable. Yes. Put that woman on the wrong drug and she's going to be more rapidly building bone, but she's still rapidly losing bone, right? So you're, you're, maybe your DEX is going to look okay, but it's not going to look better, right? And so, uh, so again, wrong drug. Bisphosphonates and Prolia and Avenity all have the same problem, which is it's, it, while it is stopping bone resorption, it doesn't allow bone remodeling. And so now we're interfering with the body's natural capacity to, to build and remodel bone, which has to happen. And that's why bisphosphonates now, the recommendation is to not take them longer than five years because you do see it starting an increased risk of fracture. And it's these atypical fractures, particularly of the femur, where they're breaking in weird yes. places. And it's because the bone isn't remodeling. Yes. Um, and coincidentally, as a surgeon, I can tell you those are a lot harder to fix. Oh, <laughs> and they, wow. they don't heal very well. Um, cause you have this basically kind of like dead feeling bone, right? You just have this, like this bone that hasn't been remodeled. It kind of looks like chalk, you know, and you can actually like, nobody ever talks about this cause we don't talk about things that happen in the OR. It's kind of like Vegas, you know, like <laughs> whatever happens, in, what happens OR, in Vegas stays in Vegas. Yes. <laughs> um, but you can, I mean, you can feel and see the difference in the bones. Um, you know, same thing with people that have metabolic dysfunction and just like the tissues, feel differently. The blood feels different. People that have high cholesterol are like, wow, it feels like motor oil. Really? Like it's just different. Yeah. And, um, and so that's, that's the challenge with, um, with a drug like Prolia is yes, it, it is, it's, it will make your decks look better. It will build some bone. Um, it will slow down bone loss. So it is, it's great. And that's why it's popular. The problem with it is if you ever stop it, then you're at profound risk of losing all of the bone that you would have lost wow. anyway, right? So you get this rapid loss of bone. And so here's my question to the physicians that are, that are just throwing everybody on Prolia. What's the long-term plan here, right? Like, are, yes. you, just, are you just banking on the idea that there's going to be like a, a newer, better drug in the future? Um, do you really want this patient to stay on Prolia? Like, imagine if you, if you went to your doctor and they're like, hey, 
you know, you're, how old are you? <laughs> you just said, you said you were 50. I'm 52. Um, 52. All right. So you're 52. And this is, I've heard this story before, right? You're 52. You go to your doctor. They're like, Hey, you have pretty significant osteoporosis. You should be on Prolia for the next 50 years. Yeah. Like really? Yeah. Right. Like that's, that's a, that's a long time. Um, or even worse, if you say, well, uh, you should be on a bisphosphonate at 52. Okay. Then what happens at 57 when you can't take it after five years? Yeah. Uh, what, what, you know, do you go back and forth? And there are some studies looking at sort of stacking these medications over time, but they still only go out like, you know, less than 10 years. And so while I feel like there is certainly a place for medications, people that at really high risk of fracture, you know, to prevent somebody from having a fracture, I, I do prescribe them for the right patient. Um, the big picture should be, Hey, let's let the body fix itself because it totally yes. knows how yeah. we just need to give it the building blocks yes. and get and like, let's, let's let the, let's get the stuff out of the way and let the body do its thing. Yeah. Um, rather than, you know, giving them this pharmaceutical, which has this single target, you know, we're going to stop this one enzyme from happening. Uh, let's actually just let the body do the like millions or billions of things that it can do simultaneously to actually fix this problem. Okay, you know what? Uh, this this question has been stirring within me as you've been talking, because you were talking about you know what stays in Vegas, what stays in the OR, whatever, what happens in the OR stays yeah. in the OR. But I heard this once from a physician that when they were in whatever medical school and they were working on cadavers. All the cadavers that they were working on had such serious calcification everywhere in the body, right? And this is why, as a nutritionist, I'm always saying, don't just go and take calcium and think it's going to solve all your problems. Because you would know much better than I would. I'm just a nutritionist. But I know that building bone, first of all, it's not that easy. And second of all, it's way more complex than just taking your calcium every day. So talk to me a little bit about this calcification that happens if you, like you said, if it's not getting in the bone. Yeah, well, so there there are so many components to that. Um, Starting with, you know, what is it you mentioned? It's hard to build bone. And, and that's true, right? Like there are, you have to be, your body has to be in the right metabolic balance in order to build bone. That's pH. That's um, having the, the right building blocks for it. That's turning on the osteoblasts and slowing down the osteoclast. Like it's this, it's this really delicate balance. Um, and you have to shift your body into that position. And, and we, you know, I think we're going to talk about modalities and stuff later, but there are ways that you can tweak that. But ultimately, like you got to have the tools. One of those things is calcium, right? So you need calcium to build bone. You're not going to get it from anywhere else. Bone is the storage area for calcium. Right. Um, the challenge with calcium, there are so many different versions on the market, right? Like if you go and buy like the cheap calcium, I see so many people, I don't know what it is about Costco and supplements, but oh my God. so many people, right? <laughs> I was talking about it Costco? today. Costco. I get, Stop my, I get all it. my supplements at Costco. Now I love Costco, <laughs> but uh, not for supplements, people, <laughs> please. Supplements. Yeah. And so like you go and you get like calcium carbonate, like calcium carbonate is chalk. Right. Like you could you could actually take your kid's chalk and you could grind it up and, and swallow it and it would have the same effect, which is not nothing good for you. Right. You can't you can't absorb it. Certainly not without stomach acid. You can't absorb it. But most people can't absorb it anyway. Yeah. Um, and, and then it just isn't in the right form to do anything good. 
So some better forms. Um, so my favorite, if you want to, um, if you want to go to like an, like the animal version of calcium, yeah. calcium hydroxyapatite is what's actually in bone. And so give the body the form that it needs for bones. Um, and there's some literature to support that if you give calcium hydroxyapatite versus other forms of calcium, it'll actually improve DEXA over time. So some good research on that. Okay. Um, another company, I'm not a sponsored person by them or anything, but um, uh, an algae product, uh, that Algical, if you're familiar with that company. Yes, I put my yeah. mom on that. Yeah, so so they have done, now I wish, I wish they would pay a third party to do research on their product, but either way, they've done research on their product and they have shown significant benefits and they even have kind of a, a pretty bold uh, money back guarantee that if you don't see improvements on their product, they'll give you your money back. Totally. Which, that surprises me, but that's cool. So anyway, I think that if you wanted to stay away from animal forms, then uh, that's a plant form. Um, I actually have steered people toward that because it's, it's I kind of like the balance of the product. Um, so we, I'll do both or, or one or the other, but you have to, if you're, you have to bring somebody in with enough calcium, but not too much. We try to get people to get calcium through their diet because that's yes. obviously going to get absorbed better. So if we can get enough calcium in around 1200 to 1500 milligrams a day, through diet, then you don't need a calcium supplement. It's, it's irrelevant. Right. Um, and then there's that, then there's that, then there's that whole thing that we mentioned earlier about what's going on with your digestion. Right. 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 So, so, yeah. And so we, we look at all that, all, all that stuff. So we look at digestive function. So we kind of have that. a sense if somebody has a, a, a well-functioning GI tract, I can tell you that most, especially women with osteoporosis don't, they usually have a history of gut problems. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's one of our targets. Um, but if you're going to consume calcium, then you also have to consume it with the things that are going to help it go to the right place. Yes. So vitamin D helps calcium get absorbed. And then vitamin K, particularly yes. vitamin K2, uh, will help it to go into the bones. Yes. And so when I put people on on a supplement stack, I know I get, I get a lot of kickback, like, oh my gosh, you put me on too many things. Well, you think about it, like, I needed three things just to get the calcium in your bones. And that's just one problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So we really have to like, let's like take the big picture here. Um, but you really need so vitamin D3, vitamin K2, and the right amount of calcium, either from diet or in the form of supplementation, to get it in the right place. Vitamin K is really interesting because there are studies that have actually shown that you can, if you give somebody just vitamin K, um, then it can actually take that calcium that you're seeing in in arteries and in other places and actually pull it out. Oh, so that's so it's amazing! Pretty cool. You can reverse calcification um, in the wrong place with vitamin K. So it's a, it's a really cool vitamin. I think in the future, we're going to hear people are going to talk about vitamin K, like they talk about vitamin D now, you know, like we're going to be able to measure levels. We can't measure levels right now. Um, and, uh, everybody's going to be like the D and the K will be given together, or you could argue they should be given separately, but you're going to get them both either way. Yeah, no. And what about, so I love that because I'm always like, just take a little bit, hundred, I think about 120, hundred micrograms of K2, will do the job, right? Yep, and yep. Um, what about magnesium? Because I know, so I'm a big fan of magnesium glycinate. I also, I actually give, I have my parents on magnesium L3 and 8 because I know that that one can really break through the, the blood-brain barrier. Yeah. I have my husband on that one who's had many concussions from past sports injuries. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you know, talk to me about magnesium. Where does that come into play? 
Yeah, magnesium is something, again, it, it hits, like when somebody's onboarded into our practice, we we basically start them on this sort of like resuscitation stack yeah. right out of the gate. Um, and if they're not on like this basic list, then we put them on it right out of the gate without any testing or anything. Because most people, unless they're already on it, are deficient in magnesium. Yes. Magnesium is, it's hard to get in our food anymore because our soil is depleted. Our food just doesn't have it in it. Um, and so you really have to supplement magnesium, just like you really have to supplement vitamin D with K. Yes. <laughs> and, and magnesium is involved in over 300 metabolic functions in the body, right? If you are deficient in magnesium, there's a lot of things that aren't working right. So yeah, I like magnesium bisglycinate. I think it's well-absorbed. Uh, any chelated magnesium should be well-absorbed. Uh, L3 and 8 for blood-brain barrier. I like a, a product that has a combination because you're kind of hitting it in multiple ways. Yeah. Um, and um I dose it so kind of start off a little bit light because I don't want to, you know, want to start start working with me and then you'll have crazy diarrhea. Like I don't want that to be their initial <laughs> impression. Yeah. No and thanks. So so you kind of start light, but eventually we we dial it up and really dose it to to gut tolerance. You know, you almost can't overdo it. And when you get to the point of diarrhea from magnesium supplementation, that's when you've hit your point of gut tolerance. And so it's almost like dose it until you can't tolerate it and then back down and that's your dose. Right. And then we retest over time and make sure we're not giving too much, but it, it's really hard to give too much orally. Do you do testing in, in your uh, clinic? Do you do blood tests or like what, like you do gut testing, I'm sure you do blood tests. Um, and then we're, we'll for sure get into the hormone discussion. I'm sure mm -hmm. that's a big one. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. So everybody that's onboarded at minimum gets our ex expansive blood test. And so this blood test looks at a lot of the nutrient deficiencies. So magnesium, specifically red blood cell magnesium is in there. And so an RBC magnesium is different than just a serum magnesium, which yes. is what, what most people will get. RBC magnesium tells you really what your body stores of magnesium are. Red or uh, serum magnesium it should almost always be normal unless you have some metabolic dysfunction. Is this uh, SpectraCell? Very depleted. Is mm -hmm. it SpectraCell that you use, Dr. Doug? Uh, no, we actually, we're using Quest or LabCorp. They can both do it. Okay. Yeah, through those companies, you can get an RBC mag. Yeah. Okay. So uh, your physician uh, doesn't do that, right? Your regular general physician? Generally not, no, okay. unless they're in the, the health optimization space. Yeah. If they if they talk to you about magnesium, it's because they got a, a complete metabolic panel which has a magnesium level in it. I think I keep me wrong about that. But okay. it's serum mag, which doesn't really tell you much unless you're pretty sick. Okay. And so um, so we get that blood panel, which also has our bone turnover markers in it, which we could talk about too. Sure. Um and so that the the blood panel um, is gonna show us what a lot of these micronutrient deficiencies are. We're also going to then pair that with uh, the functional testing. And the functional testing really depends on uh, what your needs are. So we will do gut testing, and that could be you know food sensitivity testing. It could be uh, gut permeability testing. Uh, based on your history, it could be actually stool testing, which a lot of people you know, don't like to do, and I get that. But it's really helpful. Yeah. Uh, we also look at a, a adrenal function and a, a salivary cortisol, so what's happening on your, with your adrenal glands. And then we do our genetic screen. Um, and we use a company uh, you may have heard of called Apiron. Are you familiar with? Yep. Them? Yep. Yeah. I've done it. So we, yeah. So we 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 use the Apiron algorithm, um, and uh, it's a really nice kit that's white labeled and has our logo on it. But it comes from Apiron. I I love their algorithm and I love their um, I like their company and their mission. Yep. They're actually based out of Asheville, where I am. 
uh, and moved to Austin shortly after I got here. So um, great, great company. And then we pair all of that together to then come up with this, what we call the, the OHH health report, which has, you know, all of the recommendations from a lifestyle perspective, from a, a nutrition perspective, from a supplement perspective. And then we talk about hormones and peptides and medications. Yes. Okay. Okay. Let's, um, so we covered the supplements, we covered the testing. So hormones are a huge part. I just want to go back to that because I, you know, women think, oh, you know, estrogen, I lose my estrogen or my estrogen declines after menopause, but that's okay because it causes cancer and I don't need yeah, it. Sorry. I and, didn't mean to laugh. <laughs> and, and, and testosterone, I don't need it. That's a guy's hormone, so I don't need right. it. You know, like all of these myths that I will say kind of, you know, it's like we need to dispel these myths because yeah. they are not true. So, yeah. you know, talk about the hormones and how important that is to keep them up. And why why didn't they talk about hormones back, you know, like in my grandmother's days and, and supplementing? I'm like, I'm thinking it must have something to do with the stressful lifestyle that we live now, that we don't have the yeah. hormones we used to, right? Well, yeah. So I'll answer those questions backwards. So we didn't have the capacity, like in your when your grandmother went through menopause, they didn't have the ability to replace hormones. Right. Right. So if you go back, even like the, you know, the original like estrogen, you know, Premarin, equine estrogens, I mean, that, that wasn't available for your grandmother probably, but for your mother, it was maybe. Um, Are you calling me old? Are you calling hmm. me old? Is that what you're doing right now? I'm just trying to do the math <laughs> on the generations and the timeline. I'm just kidding. I don't, really, I don't kidding. remember when Primarin was. That's okay. Anyway, so my point is, is that like three generations ago, we couldn't have replaced it. Two generations ago, we, we probably could have. Um, but really, it's the generation that is sort of between between you and your mom. Yes. That, that really got hit with this like this terrible bit of news, uh, you know, in, in the early 2000s when the yep. Women's Health Initiative came out. And, you know, this big study looking at, at safety of hormones that has been, you know, people have gone back and looked at this over and over and over again. And there has been so much debate on, you know, was this really, I mean, was this study even done with with malintent to try to show that hormones are bad? Regardless of where you sit on that, the, the Women's Health Initiative came out, they stopped the study early and said, like, there is an increased risk of breast cancer with estrogen. Yes. Everybody should come off yes. estrogen, right? In yes. it, ripped estrogen out of, I mean, probably millions of women um, because they were scared if they were going to get breast cancer without any discussion of what happened with their bones, with their cardiovascular health, with dementia, oh, with yes. their sexual health. With, I mean, just so many repercussions for this, what was later found out to be not really increased risk of breast cancer. Now, to be fair, the signal was there right? The, the, the study did show that. So that is true. But you have to look at, if you go deep into the data, and this is where like, you know, like follow the science. If, you, if you're going to follow the science, you got to know how to read data. And so if you look at the data, you can see that the group that had an increased risk of breast cancer was a pretty, was a, a pretty sick group. They were on average over 15 years out from menopause. That's not the population we're generally putting women on estrogen for. Um, they also showed an increased risk of cardiovascular disease eventually, right? They're like, oh my gosh, it's going to cause heart attacks. Uh, but again, if you look at that same group, 
over 15 years out from menopause. Um, they had a high incidence of smoking, high incidence of obesity. You know, these are not patients that I would, I would willingly, without more information, put on estrogen. So all of that happened. <clears throat> and then women were stripped of their estrogen and hormone replacement. And then doctors started being told this dogma, right? Estrogen replacement causes breast cancer. Yes. Um, same thing for men, right? Testosterone replacement causes prostate cancer. Testosterone replacement will cause you to have a heart attack. Um, and, and then it just like, I mean, I was taught that in medical school. Like I was like, oh my gosh, no, like you shouldn't be on hormone replacement. You're right. going to die of breast cancer. <laughs> right. And then, and it wasn't until I got into this space where I really wanted to try to educate people. And I realized like, oh, I should probably know more about hormones. You go to people like A4M, you mentioned, where I did a fellowship and, and the other group that I did a fellowship with. And they start presenting you this the, the, the research that is actually modern, right? It's in the last 20 years. It is prospective, meaning that they're following people over time. You can actually show causation. And that signal's not there. Yeah. Now women get breast cancer. So you can't avoid the fact that some women will get breast cancer, one out of seven statistically. And women on estrogen replacement will get breast cancer. The question you have to ask yourself is, is, is was it causal? Is there an increased association and was it causal? And the, the causal part has never really panned out since the Women's Health Initiative. And in fact, some studies looking at, at uh, both estriol and estradiol, two different estrogens, um, estriol has been shown to potentially even be protective of breast cancer. Yeah. And so now, now we have white women, and, and I, I, I hate this conversation, woman comes to me either with a personal history of breast cancer that's in, in remission or close family history of breast cancer. And, and you're concerned, okay, well, do they have the same genes? Um, it's a really tough call. You know, yes. am I comfortable as a physician putting a woman on estrogen, knowing that there's this perceived increased risk? One out of seven women will get breast cancer. Right, that's a huge, that that's is a huge, huge liability risk. for me. Yes. Um, so it's really tough. It's, and it was so damaging. Um, but I do, I put a lot of women on estrogen, um, and I use bioidenticals where we're doing progesterone and we're doing testosterone and which I'd love to talk about testosterone too. Um, and same thing for men, you know, like let's not be afraid to replace testosterone in the right circumstance because the, the research has never shown an increased risk of prostate cancer as long as you don't have it already. Right. Um, no increased risk of heart disease, no increased risk of, uh, blood clot is the other big concern, even though it may potentially raise your blood numbers. So I don't think we need to be as scared of hormone replacement. I think it just needs to be done right. right. And what I see is that the physicians in the traditional model, and I, you know, I don't like to pick on OBGYN, but OBGYNs a lot of times will use uh, artificial progestins yes. um, and artificial estrogens because it's easy. You know, women in perimenopause, oh, we'll just put you on the birth control pill. That actually causes bone loss. And there are a lot of other associations with progestins and with things like oops, breast cancer, blood clots. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, and and so it's just it's really frustrating to see that they're afraid and not trained to do it the right way. Yeah. Because we've we've sort of pushed it out of the traditional medical model and it's it's put on the shoulders of of people like me, but we have to use now compounding pharmacies, like there are no there are no um um pharmaceutical companies that are able to make these things. So it, it's just a weird space, um, but it's yeah. really important to find the right provider. Uh, does testosterone have anything to do with bones? Absolutely. So, yeah, because yeah, you hear more, you know, I follow more for, for 
estrogen. I follow that a lot more closely in terms of you hear about it more in terms of the connection between estrogen and bones, but not as much with testosterone loss. Sure. There's not a direct uh, correlation. So I think there, there might be some evidence to say that testosterone replacement alone may improve or at least slow down bone loss. Okay. So, but it's going to be relatively weak. And the reason for that is that I don't think that there's a direct connection between the, the osteoclasts, the cells that break down bone, and the osteoblasts, the cells that make bone, with testosterone. But here's the connection. So testosterone in women, if you, if you give a woman testosterone, it'll convert to estrogen. So there's a potential conversion there. That's why you have to be careful with testosterone, even with breast cancer survivors. Um, so there's a, there's a pathway there. Um, also, though, think about the lean muscle mass component. We know that maintaining lean muscle mass is critical for maintaining bone health. If you think about, you know, your, your muscles are always pulling on your bones, your bones respond to stress. So if you start to lose your muscle mass, become what's called sarcopenic, meaning that you're losing all your muscle over time, um, your bones will get weaker simply because your muscle is not pulling on it. So indirectly, testosterone will help maintain lean muscle mass as well as a bunch of other things. Um, and that lean muscle mass then will pull on the bones and will maintain your bone health. So there's not a direct correlation, but I think that you should definitely do both also for the other reasons of testosterone replacement in women. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Let's get into some of the the things that we can do. Like I know, so I started to, I actually started working out with a personal trainer. I would have been, this is four and a half years ago. I was around 48 and I knew that I wanted to build strength before menopause Mm -hmm. and knowing my mom had osteopenia, then now osteoporosis. What, like how amazing is it for a woman to do strength training for her bones? It's amazing for so many reasons, including her bones, but yeah, resistance training is, I see this in so many women, especially my younger patients, you know, where they're just afraid to do resistance training because they're afraid. They're like, I don't want to get big. Oh God. Yeah. Like, you're not going to get big. <laughs> Unless you know, like, you're you taking to, a ton of steroids. <laughs> so hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To even come, to even come close. You know, I know, I know one woman who I would, I would say, I'm not going to say her name, but I know one woman who trains hard, isn't on steroids or testosterone. And, you know, I look at her and I'm like, wow. She's really? Muscle. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, what? Well, you should maybe use lighter weight. But, yeah. But the vast majority of women, that is not an issue. And um, so, yeah, women should do more resistance training. It will improve your lean muscle mass. It will improve your physique. It will improve your bones. It'll help you maintain weight and weight loss. Um, like, it is It is one of the secrets. I, I think that muscle is really the, it is sort of the, the key to longevity. It's the secret to longevity that nobody talks about. Um, and so we, maintaining and building as much muscle mass as possible for both men and women uh, is critical. And for you, know, you kind of nailed it. Like, again, I want to get as much muscle mass as I can before menopause because it's a slippery slope after that. Um, yeah, we can replace your testosterone. And yes, you will continue to do resistance training. But inevitably, you know, like this, 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 the space of longevity would say, like, hey, you're going you're gonna to struggle to maintain this over time absolutely true with men too, even though they don't have menopause, that abrupt drop in hormones, we see that andropause where it's just sort of like the yeah. slow decline and men after their fifties and certainly into their sixties, whatever muscle mass they have, that's kind of what they're going to get. And so that's why I look at my guys in their forties. I'm like, dudes, 
you need to work out more. Yeah. No, I, I, I love it. Like, I love it. I love to feel really strong and I, I want, I want to feel strong. I want, I'm stronger, way stronger. I'm working on pull-ups now. I'm like, I never, you know, I'm like, I got to get there eventually. But the one thing I do do to help me is I take amino acids Mm -hmm. before I work out. I feel like it really helps me because you also have to be, it's a slippery slope, right? Like you have to be careful not to overdo it as well, right? Yeah, I mean, I think you would, gosh, the science behind amino acids is a little a little wonky. I think there's probably enough benefit. There's enough, enough science to say that there's benefit. Um, I kind of go back and forth on it. Sometimes I add them in, sometimes I don't. I don't feel different on them. Um, so I I don't know. I'm I'm a tweener on it. I'm actually looking in my practice. I'm looking for uh, a coach with a good uh, fitness background, kind of like a personal trainer, yeah, health coach. Um, because I I want somebody that is really like, steeped in the in the fitness nutrition, uh, not nutrition, but in the fitness uh, literature space. You know, because when I, I've looked at the literature a little bit on it from my patients, and I'm like, meh, I don't know. Like it's not going to make my top 10 list for sure. Okay, okay. Um, but if, if, here's the thing though, is if you feel like it's working for you, then do it. Like for me, the thing that I take that would help with other things, but also help with this you know, building muscle space is creatine. More science behind creatine than probably any other supplement, uh, particularly in the fitness space. Um, and it also helps with a lot of other things. Okay. So yeah, it's, okay. it's, um, whatever kind of whatever gets you to do it and to do it consistently All right. a lot of little hacks what about pemf for building bone what are your thoughts on that yeah pemf um i actually did a quick search i didn't find any new literature uh but there's evidence to say that it can stimulate osteoblasts yeah Same thing with like with vibration uh therapy uh, at the right frequencies can stimulate osteoblasts I think all these things are cool. I think all these things can be used. Um, I don't know if you guys have in, in Canada um, a franchise called OsteoStrong. Are you familiar with that one? Yes. Yes, we do. Yeah. It's in the city, yeah. like right in downtown. Yes. Mm-hmm. So if you go to like an OsteoStrong, I actually looked at opening one of these franchises, and, and they have all these different modalities that have evidence behind them. And, and PAMF is one of them. You know, yeah. so they have the mat that you lay on. and, and Right, and right. The, yeah. So I, I think that's, I think it's real, but the thing you have to remember about these modalities is that it's, it's, it's a subtle difference, you know, like if it's the only thing you do, is it going to reverse your osteoporosis? Probably not. Um, will it slow it down? Maybe, <laughs> you know, right. it's going to be subtle, but if you start stacking these things, right. So like you're going to osteostrong, you're doing PEMF, you know, you're doing vibration training, you're working on your gut, you're taking the right nutrient. Like you start stacking all these things yes. and all of a sudden now you have this robust approach that can reverse osteoporosis in the right patient. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to say this because I'm just very impressed with my mom. Who's, I have to say that she's 70, 76 and she's doing everything that I'm telling her to do. Nice. So, um, you know, we got her a PEMF because I, I said to her, I go, mom, you can't just do one thing. You have to do a lot of other things. I gave her resistance bands. I gave her, uh, we got her a PEMF mat. She's taking the appropriate supplements. She also is, she's very fit. She just doesn't have a lot of strength, right? Mm -hmm. So 
maybe to summarize, because we're coming close to an hour, but, you know, also yeah. she's 75 or 76. Just like what you were saying, you can't go and start taking estrogen if you're 76 years old and you weren't on it before, right? Like, it's not going to have the same effect, right? Well, if you think about, like, what is what are the hormones going to do? So estrogen, replacing estrogen at 76, assuming she went through menopause somewhere, you know, 20, 20 years ago yeah. or more, right? Um, that rapid bone loss that occurs in the first five years is already done, right? Um, mm-hmm. It still trickles down, though. I mean, it would still plug that hole. And I kind of look at osteoporosis like like a you have a bucket, all your bones, bone quality, quantities in it, right? And then all these little holes in the bucket. Yeah. And that's why I say you have to stack all these things because you got to plug all these little holes. And so would, if assuming there were no risks, right? There are no risks. If would, would putting her on estrogen be helpful? Probably. Actually. Oh, interesting. Yeah, sure. Assuming there are no risks. Yes. We'll talk about those in a second. Um, would putting her on testosterone be helpful? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right? And that's actually much less risky. Um, would putting her on progesterone be helpful? Yeah, it would because progesterone directly stimulates osteoporosis. loss. Um, so if I had a 76 year old, um, and I've, I've had this conversation a few times, not too many, our, our, our population is really kind of, you know, it kind of stops around 70 because we're, we're a fully telehealth company. So we're all digital. Um, and so there are some 70 year olds that aren't interested in having Zoom talks with their doctor, which is fine. Okay. Yeah. But, but anyway, if you, if you ask somebody, okay, they're 20 years out, we know that the, the Women's Health Initiative and other data would say that after 10 years, there's an increased risk of cardiovascular disease. And I think that's true. Um, it's true because when you lose estrogen, your vessels become stiffer, right? Your arteries just get stiffer. That's it's a known fact. Um, when you have stiffer arteries, the blood flow is a little bit more turbulent. Turbulent blood flow can lead to plaque formation, okay? That's just the physics of, of developing plaque. Okay. Um, if you take somebody who has been doing that for 20 years, right, they're probably developing plaque somewhere. Um, and then you put them back on estrogen, you improve the compliance or the elasticity. Sorry about that. You improve the elasticity of the vessels. You could potentially break off some of that plaque and you could develop, you know, stroke or heart attack. Mm. Um, so that's, that's my concern. Now, can you test for that? You can. So not a hundred percent certainty, but you can. So you can do something like a coronary artery calcium score, tells you a little bit about calcified plaque. You can do something called a clearly study, which tells you about soft tissue plaque. So you can really kind of risk stratify these things. Okay. You can never know for sure. Um, but for example, my older patients that have wanted to go on hormone replacement over 10 years out, we, we start with the coronary artery calcium score. If it's zero, meaning that they have zero calcification in their, in their arteries because they have no calcified plaque, then I feel pretty good about saying, look, your risk, you're not in the group that is likely laying down plaque quickly. Now, this is totally, we're outside of the realm of, of good evidence here. This is just all theoretical to say, look, it is probably going to be worth rolling the dice because of the benefits of the therapy. Um, and so that's where um, you know, I, can, I can get these people started. If though the, the coronary artery calcium score of the CAC is positive, meaning that there's a number greater than zero, then we could go to the next step, which is the clearly study. That's a very expensive study to do. You're talking you know, a couple thousand dollars to Holy. get that study done. Yeah. And so now you're like, okay, well, how, how bad do you want it? Um, and so that we can do that. And then you can say, okay, well, on the clearly you have, you know, 
none, or you have very stable appearing soft tissue plaque and you don't look like you're at risk of having anything happen, let's consider it. You know, it's always a roll of the dice, you know, even in somebody who's less than 10 years out, right? But the risk just gets smaller and smaller. So uh, we can have that discussion with patients. Um, if with your mom, if she's 76, in my practice, would she likely end up on estrogen? Probably not. Right, right. Um, but there are some practices where she would. And some people wouldn't even do this testing. They would just put her on it and say, look, this you're accepting the risk. Here you go. Um, maybe a little cavalier. I don't know. Right, right. Are those tests, the calcium, coronary calcium score, is that a blood mm-hmm. test? What is that? Coronary calcium score is a CT study. So you go in and you lay down and it's a CAT scan uh, of, your, of your chest. Low low dose radiation. It's really right. quick. Um, I had one done a couple months ago, just because I was recommending it to patients and I'd never done it. So right. um, I did it and it was zero. Good thing. Oh, wow. Um, that's a be. good I mean, test, you guys. It should be Yes. Yeah. Oh, this is a good test. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is a lot of information for people to <laughs> unpack. Sure. So let's kind of summarize. I'm going to... Although I have great bones so far, knock on wood. Um, yep. I just did a DEXA scan. Oh, I want to ask you that before I forget. What other tests are good other than a DEXA scan? Great question. Yeah. So um, if people have the ability to, and this is mostly um, location-based, if they can find a study called an Echolite REMS, R-E-M-S, and, and Echolite is Echo, E-C-H-O, and then Light, I think it's L-I-T-E, anyway, if you look up Echolite Rams, you'll find it. This is an ultrasound study that can be done. So there's no radiation. It's an ultrasound. It, and it looks at all, all the things that you want to know about in your bone. And it can tell you both bone quality and, I'm sorry, both quantity and quality. So cool. And so, yeah. So lots of people, not lots, but a fair number of people will have a, a bad looking DEXA with a very low bone density, but actually have good bone quality. Those patients are not at risk for fracture. So, you know, if, oh. if somebody says, hey, you know, you should be on this this drug and they're like, I don't want to be on the drug. And we look at the study and it says, oh, they have good bone quality. Like, look, I'm not telling you that you're not going to fracture, but I think it's a lot less likely than, than these statistics would say. Very cool. Um, so, yeah, so it's really cool. So Echolite Rems is great. You can also do a DEXA with TBS or trabecular bone score. And that gives you a sense of bone quality. The problem with TBS is that it can be thrown off by arthritis and previous surgeries because it's still using the same technology as DEXA. So it's it's not as good as a REMS if you can find it. I don't know if they have REMS in Canada, but in the U.S. Mm-hmm. it's it's not um, it's not common. Insurance mm-hmm. doesn't cover it. Uh, so you have to figure out, like, is there one locally? I, I've got a guy in, in North Carolina about five hours from me, but I have patients from Florida and Texas that are flying to him to have this study done. Uh, we're actually looking at starting a research study and buying a machine for us. And we actually potentially could travel to to clinics where we have multiple patients and start doing the study on them. That's great. Yeah. That's great. So those are basically the two big tests that you can get done for your bones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there are others. Dynamic CT is another one that, that people are doing. I have one center that's doing that. Um, I just don't know. I don't know as much about it. I don't know how available it is. Okay. Okay. And, you know, I guess let's do a summary. I, I'm going to use myself as an example. Let's say I'm 50 years old. I go and get a DEXA scan done and it tells me I have osteopenia. 
Uh-huh. Not osteoporosis. What should I do? Where should I? I know we should see a physician like yourself because, of course, because you are an integrative physician that takes into account everything. So let's say I don't have any money for that. Where do I start? What do I do? Yeah, finances is a problem with this yeah. because if you go to your doctor and they and you have osteopenia, they're going to tell you to you know lift. Hopefully, they'll tell you to lift weights, take vitamin D and calcium, right? And that's that's the starting point. If you're offered a, something like a bisphosphonate for osteopenia, I think that's aggressive use of pharmacologics and, and not necessary, but not uncommon. Um, let's let's say resources are unlimited then you should seek out somebody who can help you figure out kind of those three areas that I said earlier. Did you never reach peak bone mass? Are you rapidly losing bone now? Or do you just have an inability to build bone because of, of malnutrition, absorption, whatever? Right. Knowing knowing which one of those groups you're in, really important. Um, and then figuring out where your holes are and then start plugging those holes. Um, I think that takes lifestyle testing, <laughs> you know, a, a really comprehensive plan, supplements, potentially hormones, potentially peptides, potentially medications. Um, although if you have osteopenia, probably not medications. So I, that's my approach. Now I'm a physician that can do all these things. So that would be my approach. Yeah. Um, if you have, if you have very limited resources, what can you do? I would say, start learning as much as you can. Yes. And the the way I would start is start looking at, you know, the books on osteoporosis. I have on my, I'm, I'm creating an outline for one myself. Um, because there's not enough information out there, but there is a lot of information, some good books that you can, um, that'll kind of give you a sense of all of the nutritional aspects to do, um, the, the supplement things that you should be looking for and things that you should be avoiding. Um, there's a lot of misinformation out there though. And that's, that's sort of my fear for somebody with no resources is getting trapped and looking at things that are going to not be particularly helpful. Um, one of my favorite ones to talk about is the, is the concept of like pH balance. You'll hear that a lot in the osteoporosis world. Um, and, uh, not that pH isn't important, but typically when I see people talk about pH, they'll go down the pathway of saying, well, I need to eliminate all the acid forming foods, but that's all the protein in your diet. And so I see people kind of shift to a plant-based diet, eliminate animal products to be, you know, to have a good pH, but then they're eating no protein and they get sarcopenic and then their bone's going to get worse. No, um, <laughs> from yeah. a nutritionist. No, yeah. that's all I say. <laughs> so, so yeah, so that's what I worry about and people doing it on their own because there's a lot of misinformation out there. So I would say, you know, try to, try to gather your resources and, and do the best you can. Um, we are also developing a, a do it yourself program. Because again, there's just, there's such a need for these things. Um, so my hope is to be able to put a lot of information into a, 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 an avenue for people that don't necessarily want to work with the doc or do the testing, but want a lot, want a lot of the information. So that'll be obviously a less expensive pathway to the problem right. with what we do is that it's the testing is just so darn expensive and the, the, uh, amount of time that it takes to create a program. I mean, it takes me about three hours, you know, to really go through everything and create a custom program. Um, and then to have a team to follow through with that and the coaches from the lifestyle perspective, like it's, it's just expensive to run. Yes. Um, and, uh, so we are, you know, we're, we're working on that and we work with people the best we can. Um, but it's just an expensive program. It makes sense because I, <laughs> I understand just from a nutritional perspective that it takes a lot of time to work with somebody just on the various aspects of nutrition. 
and lifestyle recommendations from a holistic and functional nutritionist perspective. So add in something like all the testing that you do. So one thing I didn't, I didn't get into what you use peptides too in your practice. Mm -hmm. Like what kind of peptides, like subcutaneous injectables, like, Mm -hmm. like what are some of your favorites for osteoporosis? Yeah, so um, I will say clearly for the FTC that's listening that there are no peptides indicated for the treatment of osteoporosis. Okay, yep, disclaimer. However, um, if somebody is struggling with uh, losing muscle mass and they want to stimulate more muscle growth and improve their recovery from workouts, then a peptide that's in the growth hormone uh, growth hormones secreted on class. So things like stromorlin, ipamorlin, yeah. um, those things will help people to re- recover and to potentially improve muscle mass. Um, as I talked about earlier, that will improve bone quality. Yes. Right? Um, so I think that's a good one. Um, other peptides in the form of like mitochondrial function, like MOTC. Yeah. Um, a lot of my patients also have an interest in decreasing neuroinflammation, you know, so then you start getting into things like CMAX and C-Link and um, you really just can, you can stack these things indefinitely, you know? So there it's fun to, to start adding all these things in the one I would, I would say consistently in that bone health group though, are the, the growth hormone security docs. Okay. That's good to know for anybody who wants to know more. You do also work with peptides. Now, what's the outlook of somebody who has osteoporosis and doesn't do anything? Let's say it doesn't do anything, doesn't do anything. Let's say (laughs) they, whatever they, they just go, okay, whatever. I'll live with it. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the reality is, is that if you, if you go back to that analogy of, you know, bone health is the, all of your bone quality and quantity in a bucket and you have holes in the bucket, eventually you're going to run out, right? Like it's all going to run out. Um, if you think about the statistics, you know, one in two women in the U.S. statistics, but one in two women will suffer a fragility fracture in their lifetime. I mean, that kind of says it right there. Like, right, what is what is the likelihood that if you have poor, poor bone quality, what's going to happen? You're going to fracture, you know, whether that's a spine fracture that you recover from relatively quickly or a hip fracture that is very life altering and potentially life ending. Yes. Um, and everything in between. Right. Like it's measurable. I mean, a hip fracture is a terrible injury. Um, it changes lives, changes lifestyles. Only a third of women after a hip fracture, or, or actually, well, no, I think that's true. A third of all adults after a hip fracture regain independence. And that's wow. a huge thing, right? And so most, you know, two thirds will end up needing some kind of constant care after a hip fracture. Um, and so we, I used to fix these things all the time, you know, and then you just say, good luck. Um, and a lot of these patients you don't see again. And it's because they're either, you know, they're in, they're in a, a nursing home uh, or it actually can be fatal. Yes. There's a statistic that I read not long ago that if you're over the age, I think it's 65, over the age mm-hmm. of 65 and you suffer from a hip break or, or fracture that, you know, what's the percentage? Maybe you can help me with that. Like they, mm-hmm. they don't live very long after that. Yeah, so the mortality rate, meaning the, the likelihood of dying after a hip fracture, um, after the age of 65, gosh, I'm, I'm trying to remember the exact statistic. Yeah, there was um, a stat that came it, out. It varies, but I want to say the mortality rate is around 30%. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, now you got to remember that in, in East Asia, you start getting into the the later years, you know, the eighties, nineties and beyond, they have no metabolic reserve, you know? And so a hip fracture really is the hip fracture won't kill them, but the recovery will. Mm. Um, and so that's where that, those numbers really increase. Um, I saw some statistics recently looking at, you know, the, like what is, what is most likely to kill you as you age? And if you start breaking it down by age group, it is, I mean, we worry about like, we worry about cancer and heart disease and, and, you know, yes, we should, uh, diabetes, but as you age, you know, the number one killer becomes false. And people mm. kind of forget that. I mean, like, oh, well, I got to worry about my heart disease. No, like you got to worry about not falling. Yes. And, and if you do fall, having the muscle to slow yourself down as you hit the ground and having the bone quality and quantity that won't break when you hit the ground. Um, because it's, you know, pelvic fracture, hip fracture. I mean, even, I mean, an arm fracture say, oh, you just broke your arm. Like, no, proximal humerus fracture is a terrible injury. It's painful for a long time. Yes. Um, and then you have shoulder dysfunction. You can't, you know, you can't wash your hair. You can't brush your hair. Yeah. Like, that sucks. You know, so let's yeah. not do that. No, I, um, when I was uh, 41, I broke my, I fractured my heel bone. And still to the, I was one of those horrible patients. You would hate me so much because <laughs> I would be like, I never went to see the orthopedic surgeon I or physician. I never went fitted for a cast. I wore one of those air casts. I would take it off to drive. And I, <laughs> you're, he's rolling his eyes. If you could see you guys. Um, yeah, I was one of those patients, but I know better now. If that ever happens, I know better now, but let's hope that that doesn't happen because it was excruciatingly painful. So bones are no joke. We need to yeah. really take care of our bone health. So I guess tell us if there's anything that we missed or anything you'd like to add. Yeah, no, I think you did a great job. We kind of ran the whole, <laughs> yeah, we really did how, how we manage these things. We kind of ran the whole thing. I, um, yeah, we didn't really hit on the lifestyle stuff too much, but it's really driven around nutrition, you know, and then don't forget about the fact that you need optimal sleep and don't forget about the yes. fact that you have to mitigate your stress, you yes. know, and, and resistance training we talked about. So, yeah, no, I think we did it. That was a, a tour de force of, of osteoporosis. <laughs> good, <laughs> good, good. So where can we find you, Dr. Doug? Yeah, absolutely. So our website is optimalbonehealth.com. Um, and so you can go there. We're, we're adding more and more in the blog section. Again, one of our missions, free content. We want to deliver information for people. And then we're making this shift right now, but our, all of our social handles will be soon. Uh, Dr. Underscore Doug Lucas. So just Dr. Doug Lucas on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube channel is launching now. So hopefully by the time this is live, we'll have some good videos out and my goal is to really get a lot of content on YouTube so that that'll really be a repository for a physician perspective on a holistic approach to bone health. I love it because there'll be something for everyone with yeah. all of the resources that you have. And maybe we'll catch Dr. Doug doing a TikTok dance too. So <laughs> <laughs> It's possible. But maybe. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Doug. All right. You're welcome. Thanks, Sandy. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to share it with someone you know might benefit. And always remember, when you rate, review, subscribe, you help to support my content 
and help me to keep going and bringing these conversations to you each and every week. Join me next week for a new topic, new guest, new exciting conversations to help you live your best life.